Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. So I'm up here a little earlier than normal today, and there's a reason for that. Trying to save time at the end of the service to pray. We're going to spend a lot of time praying together in response to uh, the Word today. And uh, so that's why we're doing things a little bit differently. Acts chapter 2. We have been in a series called Life Together based on Acts 2, 42 through 47. We've been looking at the practices that marked the early church in Jerusalem, the very first church there. And uh, take a look with me at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The first church devoted themselves to certain essential practices. As a family of believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we have today in finished form in the New Testament. So several weeks ago, we looked at the importance of devoting ourselves to the Scriptures. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And as the passage unfolds, uh, part of this involved having all things in common in terms of their physical goods. And so we discussed a few weeks ago the grace of giving. We're actually going to look more at this idea of the fellowship next week. They also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which included observing the Lord's Supper. We looked at that last week, and we got to observe the Lord's Supper together. And then lastly in this verse, Luke tells us they devoted themselves to the prayers. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. The title of today's sermon is Devoting Ourselves to Prayer. These Christians in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to prayer. They were committed. They were diligent. And this isn't the first time that Luke has told us that the first Christians were devoted to prayer. Uh, Look back at chapter 1 and verse 14. As soon as Jesus ascended to heaven, the apostles and those with them gathered together. And what did they do? Verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is also not the last time, by any means, that Luke tells us that these Christians were devoted to prayer. We'll see that this is something that Luke repeatedly emphasizes about the early church throughout Acts. From the moment Jesus left to return to his Father, all the way up until the moment that they each went to be with the Lord, they were praying. They were devoted to prayer. Not just praying in general, but praying together. What does it say about a group of people that they were devoted to the practice of talking to God? of making requests of God, of seeking God's will. Well, they had something to pray for that only God could do. 
we can assume that they believed they had access to God. They believed God would hear them. They believed God was able to answer them. And they believed God wanted to answer them. And if you believed all of those things, why wouldn't you pray? Why wouldn't you devote yourself to prayer? If I believe that there is something that, that only God can do, and I have access to God, and He's willing and able to do that thing, why wouldn't I ask Him? So, are, are we devoted to prayer? Are we devoted to prayer? I'll be honest, I, I don't think so. And that starts with me. Now, let me be clear. Maybe you are. Maybe you are devoted to prayer. I, I don't think we are devoted to prayer. And again, I, I confess that this is an area that I struggle both personally and as a pastor. So if not, why not? Why don't we devote ourselves to prayer? Well, maybe it's because we don't have something to pray for. It could be that we don't desire things that take God's power. Or, or maybe, you know, we have desires, things that we don't want, that we can't have, but maybe we think that that desire can be handled by ourselves or by someone else other than God, so we don't pray. Maybe it's because we don't believe we have access, that God doesn't hear us. Maybe we feel like our prayers just aren't getting through, that we pray and nothing happens, and so we don't pray because we don't think that God hears us. Maybe we don't think that God is able to answer, or maybe we don't think he's willing to answer. Not that he's not loving. I mean, we may affirm that he's loving. We may affirm that he's powerful, that he, he loves us, that he wants to do anything. But perhaps we assume, well, he's, he's already going to do what he wants to do, so there's really no point in praying. Confess, I, I find myself believing that lie at times. Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at how Jesus taught us to pray. And I believe in these verses, we see a response to all of those reasons why we might be tempted not to pray, why we may not devote ourselves to prayer. Because we see in the Lord's Prayer who this God is that Jesus invites us to pray to. We'll see that Jesus teaches us to pray for that which only God can do. And we'll look at how devoting ourselves to prayer in the way that Jesus taught us can shape our life together as a congregation. My, my prayer as we look at this passage is that this passage in which Jesus taught us how to pray would, would so shape our congregation, shape our thinking and our behavior 
that anyone who, who would look in on us and see us would say, oh, that, that is a group of people that is devoted to prayer. And before we read, I want to just mention one more thing. You know, when we think about prayer, the fact that we should pray, and we realize we don't pray, I, I don't think any of us would say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I pray exactly the amount of prayer that I should pray. I, don't, I think all of us would admit we, we could be praying more, we want to be praying more, or we're not praying quite enough. When we think about that, it's easy for us to kind of fall into a mindset of burden, like, oh, yeah, I know, just feeling like, feeling guilty, like, oh, I know, I need, I need to do more, and then feeling like the answer is, okay, I've got to, I've got to do more, I've got to try harder. But we do need to realize right from the get-go that that is not what prayer is about. That is actually the opposite of what prayer is about. You might have grown up singing the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. An invitation to pray, an invitation to pray more, is not an invitation to do more, be more weighed down. It's an invitation to be lighter. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus inviting us to pray is inviting us to loosen our burdens, to stop trying to do so much and let God take it, to let God do what he wants to do, to stop bringing on ourselves our needs, our desires, our burdens, and to just store up in our hearts anxiety and all of these fears and and all of the burdens that come with that, but instead to bring those things to our God so that he can do what only he can do. So as we think about praying more, right from the beginning, I I don't want you to feel like, oh man, I got to do more. No, this is an invitation not to be more weighed down, but to be lighter. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read together from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. So in this prayer, we're going to see, we're going to answer these three questions. With whom do we pray? To whom do we pray? And for what do we pray? All the grammar people are really happy with my preposition usage. With whom do we pray? To whom do we pray? And for what do we pray? So first of all, with whom do we pray? 
The, the very first thing I want us to notice about the way that Jesus taught us to pray is that this prayer is in the plural. Now, you can't see it in, in this, uh, the English translation, but when Jesus said, pray then like this in verse 9, the very first words of verse 9, he uses, speaking uh, all the grammar people, this is like your day, because we're going to talk about the second person plural pronoun. Or as we like to say around here, y'all, right? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no idea how fancy you were when you said y'all. That's the second person plural pronoun. So we could translate that phrase literally like this. Like this, therefore, pray, y'all. That's what Jesus says. Pray then like this, y'all. He's saying, so the point is, it's in the plural. He's saying to us, this is how we are to pray. Not just individually, though certainly there's an individual application. He's instructing us to pray. And that's not just true of that first phrase in the beginning. The whole prayer is in the plural. You might have noticed, I even kind of try to emphasize it as we read it. Our Father, give us our, da- our daily bread. Forgive us. Our. Um, uh, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us. This is a prayer in the plural. Now, you may recall that almost a year ago, um, I preached this passage. Of course, a year ago feels like a decade ago since it's 2020. But you may recall that I preached this passage, and I, I, I regret that as I preached that, I only focused on the personal application of the Lord's Prayer, praying this privately, which certainly we should do. But we aren't praying the way that Jesus taught us to pray unless we also are praying in the plural. So let's look in detail at this prayer and consider the significance of not just what Jesus taught us individually to pray, but how Jesus taught us to pray together, that we may devote ourselves to prayer. So to whom do we pray? We've seen with whom we pray. To whom do we pray? Well, consider that first phrase, our Father in heaven. In prayer, we approach the God of heaven, the creator of all things, the source of all life, the one who rules over all things. He owns everything, and he can do anything. And that's the God that we get to approach, but not just approach, We get to approach that God, the only God, as Father. Not just as high and lofty God, not just as the one who is on the throne and and we are but lowly peasants, although that's true. We get to approach him as Dad. This God is the Father who sees us, hears us, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6. Then in 6, 8, Jesus tells us this is the Father who knows what we need before we ask him. This is the Father who, according to Jesus in chapter 7 and verse 11, he is the Father who knows 
how to give good gifts to those who ask him. And this is the Father who invites us in chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, to ask, to seek, to knock. Because God is in heaven, he is able to answer any prayer. And because God is our Father, he wants to answer our prayer. How is it that we can call God our Father? The God of heaven. How is it that he is our Father? Well, it's not because we were begotten. There is only one begotten Son of the Father, Jesus Christ. No one is born a child of God. We are all born spiritual orphans. The only way that we become children of God is by adoption. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. When I recognize my sin before God, the fact that I stand condemned on my own, uh, but I trust in Jesus, the substitute that God sent to bear the penalty of my sin, when I trust in him to save me from my sin, to give me eternal life, God joins me to Christ and everything true about Christ as the Son of God the status that he has, the inheritance that he has as the son of God, that becomes true of me. I am adopted because I am united to the son of God. Paul says in Romans that Jesus has become the firstborn of many brothers. We are adopted in Jesus Christ. Adopted to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And when we are, when we trust in him by faith, we receive the status of sons. We are children of God. So the God of heaven is our father. This is the one that we approach in prayer. But catch this though, in Christ, God is not just my father. He is our father. When we pray our Father like Jesus taught us to pray, not only are we taking advantage of the relationship that we have to our Father as his children, purchased by the blood of Jesus, we are also declaring the relationship that all of us in Christ have with one another. If God is our Father, then we who are in Christ are spiritual siblings. To say our Father is to say that I have been adopted, and to say that we are spiritual siblings. Think about the implications of that. That God is our Father. We are all equally loved by our Father. If we're in Christ, we are all equally loved by our Father. Despite our differences— Despite our varying levels of maturity, the person who's been a Christian for one day 
is loved equally the person who's been a Christian for 60 years? Despite our varying levels of knowledge, right, God doesn't love seminary-trained people more than the person who's not even read the whole Bible. God loves his children equally. Despite our varying levels of Christ-likeness, God loves the knucklehead who still hasn't learned to stop doing the things that he used to do before he was saved, which is actually all of us. But the one <laughs> but God loves the one who is the least like Christ and the most like Christ equally. It doesn't depend on our Christ-likeness. It doesn't depend on our knowledge. It doesn't depend on our maturity. It doesn't depend on our commitment. It depends on Christ. He loves us equally. And as we approach God, as our Father, we approach Him on level ground. We also all have a relationship to one another as those who are loved by the Father. We're joined to one another as a family because we have one Father. If there's only one Father, then we are all joined together eternally in a way that we are joined to no one else. So let's consider in light of those relationships, in light of the fact that Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, together, let's consider for what we pray. Let's consider what Jesus taught us to pray to our Father about, and consider what would it look like if we thought about the implications of these requests for our brothers and sisters united together. So first of all, for what do we pray? Or what do we pray? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. To devote ourselves to prayer is to long for God's name to be honored, regarded as holy, sacred. It's to pray for God's glory. This is the first request of the Lord's Prayer for a reason. This is to be our deepest desire as a church, and for our church. So what if our church prayed like this? What if we devoted ourselves to praying that God's name would be hallowed? It would remind us what we're living for. It would take all the other priorities that try to take the place of God's glory and it would shrink them down to their proper place. And what if God answered this prayer? It's a prayer that he delights to answer. As he did, we would see God show off. We would see his fame spread. We'd see God do what he has already told us that he wants to do. For his glory to spread across the earth like the waters cover the sea. So may we pray together this way, hallowed be your name, so that our congregation may be marked by an increased desire to see God worshipped. First of all, we have access and God will answer. So let's ask. Consider the next request. Your kingdom come. To devote ourselves to prayer is to long to see God's reign increase. 
We desire to see more people enter the kingdom. We desire to see more of our life together as a church submitted to him. So what if our church prayed like this? What if we as a congregation devoted ourselves to pleading with God to see more people enter the kingdom? What if we prayed earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest? It would increase our desire for evangelism. It would increase our desire to grow closer to our King Jesus and to increasingly submit our lives under His reign. And what if God answered this prayer? And why wouldn't He? He's already told us He will. Well, if He answered this prayer, we would see more people saved. We'd see the baptistry filled up every Sunday. We'd see lives change. We'd see families transformed. We'd see our congregation grow, not just for the sake of numbers, but for the multiplication of the glory of God. We'd see our congregation grow closer to Jesus as well as we all submit more to his reign as we ask for God's reign to increase, his kingdom to come. We have access. God will answer. So let's ask. Next, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To devote ourselves to prayer is to long to see God's desires become reality. To see what he wants become what is real. To see less of the worldly and more of the heavenly. So what if our church prayed? like this. As a church, what would excite us is not seeing our preferences catered to or our needs met, but seeing God's will carried out. That's what would excite us. We would increasingly desire to submit to God's word. We would continually be surrendering our will to his will. Our unity would grow stronger as we all are desiring the one will of God instead of insisting on our own individual wills. And what if God answered this prayer? Well, we would see God's purposes accomplished. We would see God's agenda be realized. We would see God's priorities take center stage. We would grow in our desire for holiness among our brothers and sisters, and increasingly see growth in our individual hearts and in the growth, in, uh, growth in the hearts of our friends. So may we desire that our church and the whole earth would look more like heaven. We have access. God will answer. So let's ask. Next request is in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. To devote ourselves to prayer is to bring each other's needs before the Lord. I'm not just to pray for my daily bread. We are to pray for our daily bread. And notice that twice in this request is this idea of today. Give us this day our daily bread. We are to live in daily dependence upon the Lord. Daily bringing our needs the needs of our brothers and sisters, to the Lord. What if our church prayed like this? 
Well, we would grow in our concern for the physical needs of our brothers and sisters. Our hearts would increasingly be concerned to see our brothers and sisters cared for, and it it may even inspire generosity among us, such that God would choose to provide for my brother or sister through me. What if God answered this prayer? Well, we would see needs met. We would see God glorified as he did what only he could do, and we would grow in our appreciation for just how much he answers this prayer, and we don't even recognize it. We have access. God will answer. So let's ask. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. To devote ourselves to prayer is to confess our sins together, to desire forgiveness from the Lord, and to desire forgiveness to mark our community. Do you see all that? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's a vertical and a horizontal aspect to that request. So that to devote ourselves to prayer is to confess our sins together, to desire forgiveness from the Lord, and to desire that forgiveness would mark our community as a church. So what if our church prayed like this? Well, praying like this will lead us all to be humble about our own sin, and it will lead us all to be humble about the sin of our brothers and sisters. By regularly asking for forgiveness together, we are admitting our own brokenness and our need for Jesus. And thus we also see the sins of our brothers and sisters from the perspective of the forgiveness that God has granted us in Christ. And what if God answered this prayer? Again, we know he wants to. We know he has promised to. We would all increasingly live in the freedom and the peace of the forgiveness that Christ has purchased for us. We would see more repentance among us. We would see more forgiveness being extended among us. We have access. God will answer. So let's ask. Finally, in verse 13, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. To devote ourselves to prayer is to ask for spiritual protection. We not only want to confess the sins that we have already committed, we want to ask for protection against the sins that we have not yet committed. We want to ask for the protection from the evil one who seeks to devour us, whose gates we are trying to storm as a church. What if our church prayed like this? Our hatred for sin would increase. We would grow in our discipline in our fight against sin. We would grow in our boldness to keep one another accountable. We would warn each other when we see each other drift into sin. And what if God answered? We'd see fewer brothers and sisters fall fall into sin. We'd see fewer children rebelling and abandoning God. We'd see less division and worldliness in our church. We have access. God will answer. So let's ask. Well, that being said, while there is value in talking about prayer, if we only talk about it, we're missing the point. 
We need to actually do it. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of our gathering today. Uh, For some time now, one of the tools that we've used around here to guide prayer is the acronym ACTS. It stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And we're going to take all of the elements of the Lord's Prayer that we just looked at, and we're going to offer them to God as adoration. We're going to offer them to God as confession, offer them as thanksgiving, and offer them as supplication. And in addition to praying with each one of these focuses of ACTS, we're also going to pray together in a variety of ways. Uh, Praying together, devoting ourselves to prayer can look look like a number of different things. Uh, We're only going to do a few of them that we're going to do here today. Um, There's also more ways that we can uh, do in other settings. We see in Acts chapter 2, for instance, that they were not only gathering together uh, regularly as a whole church on the Lord's Day, they were also gathering in their homes. Uh, When we see that phrase, the prayers, they were devoting themselves to the prayers, there's clearly a variety of prayers going on, not just public, but also private. And we're going to look at, we're going to pray in a variety of ways today. So we're going to pray in unison, we're going to pray privately, we're going to pray as, as families or small groups, uh, and we're going to, uh, and lastly, I'm going to lead us in a prayer together. Um, and so then in between these times of prayer, uh, we're going to sing together, which itself is really a corporate prayer. Um, and so be, before we begin, though, um, you know, this is, uh, this is like I, I said at the beginning, it's a a, a change in pace of what we normally do. It's a change in the, the way we structure our services and the things we normally do. Um, and I pray that today, devoting ourselves as a congregation to prayer in this way would whet our appetite to do this more as a church. Because what I definitely don't want to happen is for us to to talk about prayer, think about prayer, feel convicted about prayer, desire to pray, then pray today, and then just go back to normal. And so my prayer is that this would not just be a time for us to pray today, but it would, that it would be the beginning of an increased devotion to prayer for us as a church. And, and for me, even coming up here publicly saying this, as I think about crafting our worship services, um, to, to remind myself and to encourage myself to, to lead us to pray like this, to pray more, to increasingly devote ourselves to prayer. And so before we pray together, um, let me pray for us that this time would not only be fruitful, honoring to God, but that it would also be something that the Lord would use in the days ahead. Let's pray together, and then we'll pray together. (laughs) Father, our Father, as we enter into this time of worship through prayer, um, Lord, I pray that you would whet our appetite for more of this with you. Lord, that we would devote ourselves to prayer. Lord, that increasingly it would become a reflex for us to pray. Lord, I pray that as we, as we, as we get a taste of what this could look like, as we pray in unison together, as we pray privately in our seats, as we pray together with our brothers and sisters in the room and in our homes on the live stream, Lord, I pray that we would want to do this more, that we would say, wow, that, 
That was honoring to God. That was edifying. That was freeing. Uh, that was in line with the will of God. We want to do more of that. Lord, I pray that that would be our desire, that we would come next week ready to pray, uh, that in between now and then, that we would desire to pray with our spouses, pray with our families, pray with our brothers and sisters. Lord, that we would increasingly pray the things that you taught us to pray, the things that only you can do. So Lord, I, I pray that you would be honored in this time of worship together through prayer and that we would be built up that we would be humbled, that we would be refreshed, and Lord, that we would leave here lighter than we came in because we are casting our burdens on you. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.